Hey guys, welcome into the Bear With Us podcast. I am Jack. He is Frank. You can follow us on Twitter at Bear With Us Podcast at JSavio505. I don't remember what it is now. Oh well. Uh, Frankie G Lyrical. You, no, no, no. You're Frank Mags now. I am. You've upgraded. You've upgraded. I've upgraded. See, you went from rapping to, to playing video games. Guys, listen. Frank, before we started recording right now, he was begging me. Jack, come on. Can we please talk about the Cubs? I want to talk about the Cubs. I want to talk about Wilson Contreras and Ian Hat. I want to talk about and I'm like, no, Frank, I'm sorry. We, we we changed the name to a Bears podcast. We're sticking with the Bears. And, and he's like, all right, fine. And and then he pulled up. He's like, all right, now I'm going to punish you by reading some, some Mitch Trubisky tweets. So, uh, Frank, you have some quotes for me uh, regarding Pittsburgh Steelers QB1, Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, so it was uh... – Really interesting. He had a, uh, I think it was a podcast episode, actually. Um, and he, you know, they asked him just about his time in Chicago, his time in Buffalo, and he sort of expanded on both. And this is the quote that he said about his time in Chicago. We won a lot of games. I made a lot of big plays. I contributed to, uh, to those winning teams, and I knew I was the leader in those locker rooms. People can say whatever they want about it, but I'm proud of the work there. Here, here's where it gets juicy here, Jack. Okay. I would say, I, and I guess the, the question was like, what is the difference between Chicago Bears you and, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers you? And he said, I would say I process quicker now. I know where I want to go with the ball. I'm able to just trust my abilities and play a lot more free, not just go where the coach wants me to go with the football. I think it was, uh, I think it was a lot along the lines of just having a trust. Okay. They must've missed it. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was a, a lot of things in Buffalo allowed me to have like trust and being on the same page with my offensive coordinator. Uh, I felt like being in Buffalo, the quarterback had a lot of free reign to do, uh, to go where he wanted with the football and go where he wanted with his reads um, as opposed to Chicago. And then he said, this was the last thing. Even if you got a completion in Chicago, I felt like sometimes it wasn't necessarily what the coach wanted. They put you in a box a little bit more than you wanted to be. And I think that restricts you as a player. It's just uh, it's just different experiences. In the end, we still won games. It's just different team to team. Okay, two things. One, this is already going to have the Mitch fans, the Mitch fanboys coming out here, be like, "It was never Mitch." See, we told you it was Nat. No, it's still both of them. Mitch sucked. Mitch sucked in Chicago. Uh. With that being said, though, that really pisses me off because uh, Matt Nagy was brought here to do one thing, and it was to make Mitch into an all-pro quarterback. Uh, again, I think that's just another another tick under the Matt Nagy is a phony column. Like, damn, that that really sucks. And and it kind of I, I can't even say I'm really that surprised based off of two things we saw last year. Number one, Andy Dalton seems like that type of player who necessarily wouldn't want to kind of go free reign and, and sort of rogue in the offense. He seems more like that timing based route based offense that everything needs to be perfect for him to sort of succeed. I think that's, that was seen in Cincinnati. I think it makes a lot of sense in what he was doing here in Chicago. And then on the, uh, in that same vein, I think fields is more of that, feel type quarterback where he's like, all right, I, I gotta, I gotta know where I'm going, but I want to feel, I, I have to feel that it makes sense. And Mitch was kind of that same quarterback. 
it's it's not it's not really surprising to hear him say that, Frank. I mean, these are my raw initial thoughts. Obviously, you you've been kind of sitting on this. What did you first think when you when you saw him say that? Where you, you couldn't have been surprised. There's no way you and I have never been super different in our thoughts on on Mitch and and the whole offense. No, my my thoughts weren't very different than yours, but it was so ironic because my dad had called me. Um, I think it was the day after the very first training camp practice. Oh man, like I'm liking what I'm hearing. And you know, the conversation went to, he's like, man, I really hope this, this coaching staff doesn't do what they did to Mitch. And he never was like bought in on Mitch super hard, but the one, you know, stark difference that he picked up on, and this is someone who like, he watches Bears games, he watches other games, but he, he's a very big football fan, but not like a nerd, like me and you, you know what I mean? Like it's more of like the dad football, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, right. the, Oh yeah. Oh meatball. yeah. But he was like, I remember him in, um, in 2019, like, why is he scared to run? Are the coaches like it feels like he it he like you could visually see that he was like overthinking things versus like year one, it was like he'll do a read or two and he's taken off or throwing the ball away or, or something. Whereas like year two and beyond, it felt like he was being forced to go through three, four, five reads when it was clear he couldn't do that. He and, and that he he remarked it in his statement of like, I feel like I process things faster now. It was very clear he couldn't read defenses while he was in Chicago. It just was what it was. So with that first or second read was there, he would make a good throw. Like, he he has good arm talent. And so, like, seeing that made me think of not only what my dad said a few years ago, but literally a few days before I read that uh, that article that was, uh, you know, talking about that, or what that had him quoted anyway. Um, and I was like, that just sort of confirmed what I thought was happening. Because the stance that me and you have always had is like, no – after year three, maybe even four, it was like, yeah, he's just not, he's not the guy. He can be a really good backup. He can be a serviceable starter in the perfect system. Maybe Pittsburgh is that system for him. Um, but he, you know, he isn't that guy, but he can do things on a football field. When you think of what we were sold on with Matt Nagy and seeing like what an actual offensive genius and Kyle Shanahan has done with like way less talent than a Mitch Trubisky, like why couldn't we work with his strengths? and win and win more or even like have yeah. a more fun offense. It was like that, that was sort of the stamp on it for me that it was like, I think they both weren't very good, but I think Nagy was worse at his job than Mitch was at his. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I would agree with that. Again, you're, you're totally right. You, we saw it in that second year and, and it goes back to something. I think we talked about when we like first started this podcast, I remember talking to you about this because it, again, it wasn't just Mitch who could not pick up this offense. Nobody broke out in this offense. Allen Robinson was Allen Robinson, at least in the first, you know, three years he was here, like yep. when he was actually caring about the team. Um, he, he, but he was a good player before he came here. Anthony Miller didn't develop into a very good player. David Montgomery, again, I, I think he's good. But he, it wasn't like he was became a dominant running back in the NFL or anything like that. Like, there were so many other people in this offense who, who didn't really succeed. And again, I just think it points back to the biggest thing being Matt Nagy not being a good teacher. He just wasn't well, – he was so obsessed with his offense, his super complex offense that takes 18 years to learn apparently – and he was unwilling to compromise his offense to fit his players' skill sets. It's the same, and it's not just with Mitch. 
It was last year with Justin Fields. How many times did you and I, Frank, yell on this podcast, let Justin Fields roll out, get him outside the pocket? It was the same thing with Mitch. The offensive line was not good enough to run Matt Nagy's super complicated seven-step drop offense. Like, it just didn't work. And he kept doing it. And, yeah, I, I do feel for Mitch to a certain extent. Because he does seem like that guy who who wouldn't really go against a coach. You know, he he's definitely more of the team first guy as opposed to a me first guy, which isn't bad. But you need your quarterback to step up, especially when your entire offense is struggling, and say, hey, this isn't working. And Mitch just never did that, at least from what we've heard and what we've seen it 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 is it's just very frustrating that Mitch didn't try to put himself into the best possible position to succeed and it seems like he may be getting that opportunity in both Buffalo and Pittsburgh both organizations by the way Frank who have you know produced some pretty good fucking quarterback play in the last 40 years yeah well i now that you said that i think that's sort of an indictment on Mitch too though you ha- at, at a certain point, you have to put your foot down. That's what I'm saying. Because, what- yeah, because the, thi- like, the thing is, I guess my retort is going to, like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it wound up being a really bad thing. I think in the beginning, you like listening to the coaches, but once you realize this isn't working, you know, you've got you to do something. Yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly what that means in an NFL locker room or an NFL team. I don't think you go to the GM and like advocate for someone to be fired, but like something has to give because make no mistake. We like years two and three, granted we had our critiques for Nagy, but I think we still saw him as like a competent person. Year four, it was like, no, year, th- year, year three, three for sure. Kind of, yeah. Year three, were kind of, but year two, no, we blamed a lot of that on Mitch and granted he still deserved that. But if you know, again, like that, that just didn't play in his favor because he was getting, I would say, the majority of the negative press, the majority of the, the blame for a lot oh, yeah. of this. Oh, yeah. Because everyone just assumed that Nagy stole the guy that we got that was under Andy Reid. You know what I mean? It was just sort of that thing. So, yeah, I mean, I guess for the lack of a better way to put it, it's like, grow some fucking nuts. Hopefully he has because you like, what are, like can you imagine that happening to to Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or like any and, and again not to like say that's what he could have been but you were the first quarterback taken off the board like what that that and and Frank this I mean this this what we're saying to me at the very least and I don't know how our listeners feel about this but to me this isn't like some crazy reach that you and I are making I mean confidence issues have never have constantly been brought up with Mitch, especially when he yeah. was here in Chicago. He talked about having to turn the T, he couldn't have the TVs on. And, and granted, like that, that wasn't a great look and, and the team should have never let that, that get that far. But I, this isn't stuff we're making up. We're, we're not revisiting history. We're not re-looking at it or, or looking at it in hindsight. Mitch had a confidence issue. To me, he was never going to be a guy that stood, that walked into Matt Nagy's offense, slammed his playbook on the fucking desk and said, this isn't fucking working. We saw Nick Foles talking about it last year with Andy Dalton. We saw that. But those aren't the types of guys that are going to say that. You're right. You know, the great ones do. Tom Brady, 
Peyton Manning. Those guys took over their offenses. And the quarterback has to be the leader of their team, it, of the offense. That it just That is how it works, at least for the best teams. You think of Joe Burrow. You think of Justin Herbert. Like, those types of guys. Mitch needed to do something. He needed to say, this isn't working. Instead of just trying to make it work, because it just wasn't, and it didn't. And and again, he goes to two organizations, again, who have produced quarterbacks. Buffalo Bills have very good track records with quarterbacks, Frank. Same with Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, they know what they're doing. So it doesn't surprise me that the Bears just were like, yeah, let's just keep trying to make this fucking work, even though it's just not going to. So again, this points to... Yes, was Matt Nagy a bad coach? Yeah, he was. But it's also true that Matt or that that Mitch Trubisky wasn't a good quarterback while he was here. And granted, maybe he did grow in a different organization. Maybe he is taking those steps as a leader. I hope he is because honestly, Frank, he, as a quarterback here, he was definitely not the worst one you and I have ever seen. Oh, We've nice. seen oh. much worse, especially worst personalities too. Like Mitch is a good guy. So I do hope that he has some success elsewhere. But if that does happen, it's not going to be because he was always good. It's going to be because those organizations know how to develop players. It's I, just, I, I think it's that I, you simple. Know what though, I, with all that said, and then we can, you know, we can move on, but he, he's going to lose that job. If he even gets it, Kenny Pickett's going to take over. Yeah. Week six. Yeah. It's it just, I mean, he's not like, Maybe you've saw things in film study and this and that. I don't really know. I, to me, doing things at that level, at that speed, sometimes it's either you have it or you don't. Like, you can study as much as you want. Like, they were talking about Zach Wilson uh, on a podcast that I listened to, and how he, like, studies, like, he was, uh, like, Tom Brady called him, and it was, like, a Friday night at 9 p.m. to see what he was doing. He was, like, at the, the, the war room still studying. It's, like, it doesn't matter. If you can't read defense... <laughs> You, yeah. you, sure, like, you know, on paper you can do it, but the problem with Mitch was that, and we saw this all the time with the Packers, they love doing this. They do this to everyone, and the good quarterbacks see right through it, the bad ones don't. They do post-snap. Uh, they they uh, Bluffs. Yeah, the, the whole, the, just the bluffs and things like that, where it's like, it looks like a cover two, all of a disguises, sudden. Disguises, yeah. Like a, oh, yeah. Yeah, all types of disguises. And he was never able to pick up on that. That, that was what defenses constantly did to him. He could. He didn't know who was blitzing. He didn't know who, what you know what was had. He he was lost. And 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 I, I really don't think that's something you can improve on because that's like a real time thing. The only yeah. time you get those reps is in a real game. And if you haven't adjusted already, I don't think you ever will. I don't think you can. Yeah. And and again, I think that goes back to coaching too. It's it's it doesn't have to be one or the other. It really doesn't. I mean, he just wasn't taught how to do it. They they drafted him on pure raw talent which again arguable at best that he was the most raw talented quarterback because in my opinion that was still Patrick Mahomes but you know Deshaun Watson all the other stuff I, I think was still the most talented quarterback uh you know pro ready at that time again I I just think it just it just didn't work it can be both things but we saw that with Mitch right like the play he, he thought he saw something. He thought he saw cover two. It ended up being, you know, a, a safety blitz. And that's why when the play broke down, you almost were like hoping it would because that would lead to him 
using his athletic skills to get out of the pocket to make something crazy happen as opposed to doing the seven-step drop when he had no protection because the offensive line was bad. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, again, I don't think it's one or the other, but ultimately I'm not surprised by, by Mitch feeling like he was kind of tied at the hands in, in Matt Nagy's offense. It's just really not that surprising. Agreed. Agreed. And hopefully we never bring up Mitch Trubisky or Matt Nagy again, but I thought it was an interesting article. It was. And that's a live reaction too. Frank, Frank just brought that up and was like, we're going to get into this. And I said, okay. All right. And we did. Uh, Frank, a lot of other news going on. Um, you know, offensive line, we're just talking about them a little bit. Lucas Patrick, broken thumb. Uh, it sounds like he might be missing at least maybe most, if not all, of training camp at, at the center position. Uh, so it sounds like the Bears are going to have to kind of rework that offensive line. Big surprise. Um, Sam Mustafer, you know, could be in line to start at center. Doug Kramer, the rookie six-round pick, could also be in line for that. Um, but it also sounds like there's been some changes on the offensive line uh, today in, the, in their first couple padded practices uh, with with Braxton Jones, their rookie fifth round pick, starting at left tackle while uh, Larry Borum and Riley Reef are sort of rotating at right tackle. Um, before we get into the obvious name that I did not mention, um, let's I, I, I do want to get your thoughts on on Braxton Jones starting. Basically, it sounds like he may have claimed the left tackle spot while Larry Borum and Riley Reef are kind of duking it out for the right tackle spot. What do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, they may have just found a diamond in the rough, man. Yeah. Like The one thing that I'm going to do, at least right now, is give Ryan Poles the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the offensive line. Because when you think about the one thing that Ryan Pace did really well on this team, it was build a defensive line. What position did Ryan Pace play? Defensive line. What position did Ryan Poles play? Offensive line. I, I, I think, and I, you could probably go down, up and down the list of former players, at least through college, that are, are front office executives, I, you know what I mean, that play these positions, and they usually get it right because they have a real feel for that position. Right. So I have a hard time believing a first-time GM in his first year on a new team is like, you know what? Fuck it. We're really not a fifth-round pick at left tackle. He sees something that he really, really likes. Um, that's not to say he's going to be dominant in year one or, you know, all pro in the next couple of years, but like, that's pretty significant. Like we have other options here. One that we'll, we'll, you know, talk about quite a bit in the next couple of minutes, but after, um, what happened in the OTAs, him starting there, I certainly wasn't shocked. I I figured he was going to, to man one of those tackles, at least starting training camp. And by all accounts, he's looked pretty good. Like he hasn't looked bad at left tackle at all. Granted, he's not going up against Robert Quinn. He's not going against the best pass rusher on the team, but for a fifth round pick for you to establish yourself this soon, that's amazing. And I think people are really overreacting with the draft status because sometimes you just find something. Think about Philip Lindsay on the Texans a few years ago. He was undrafted and beat out Royce Freeman, who was their third round pick. It happens sometimes people fall through the cracks. Elijah Mitchell beating out Trey Sermon. Elijah Mitchell, that's what I'm saying. Arian Foster, one of the best, if not the best, undrafted rookies of all time. Like, this happens sometimes, man. Kirk Cousins being better than, like, literally half the first round that was drafted that year. Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson. 
beating, beating out, the out their paid a fucking yeah. to in that flip. like this happened and, and, and it's not to say that that means that this is going to work out but people freaking out like oh my god we're depending on this fifth round pick this isn't like foreign this happens there's fifth round i mean you especially uh in the trenches where you know guys who don't have the sexiest names because you just they're not the skill positions right out of the gate you see on offense and defense, like, oh, here's the guy that drafted in the sixth round with his third sack of the game. Charles like, Leno happened. Jr. was a seventh round pick. Charles Leno was a seventh round. Like, this this happens sometimes, man. Yeah. And not for nothing, I mean, he was pretty generally regarded as a third or fourth rounder. So he he fell to us kind of unexpectedly. Not not to say that means, well, I just said disregard draft status anyway, but like, I, I think, I, I really don't think people understand how deep NFL drafts are these days. Because oh, yeah. when we were younger, once you, once you got past the third round, you were just taking flyers on guys. It was very rare that it was an impact player. Now the expectation is for the first four draft picks and the first four rounds to be impact players. If and, and I wouldn't doubt that the expectation as things start to evolve is like we need to start her in the round uh, in, in the fifth round too. Eddie Jackson was a fifth round guy. Like th- this, yep. you know, Darnell so, Mooney, the Super Bowl winning yeah, wide receiver, fifth round pick. That's what I mean. Like. Lil Herbert last year, six rounder. Like yeah. this, this happens. Like the, the, there's a, a lot of talent on these boards. Um, and I hope he just, to be honest with you, like my last thought with that is like, I hope he just solidifies it. I know. Let's get this discussion out of the way. <laughs> let's let him man left tackle. There, there it is. He's gone. Now let's figure out the rest. Yeah. I'm tired of talking about the left tackle spot in Chicago. Same. Like I've just, we've, we've, and, and granted, I'm not blaming anyone for time. It's, it's, it's a serious concern. Um, but if they found a guy that can just be that rock, be that starter, be that, you know, just just anchor on the left side, like, good, let's let's fucking do it. And let's start figuring out the the right tackle stuff, right tackle spot. I, I was really surprised, actually, Frank, that that Riley Reef seems to be sort of in a camp battle with Larry Borum. Again, granted, it's not they never said it's 100 percent certain that Braxton Jones is the left tackle. They could just be giving him a run of a couple days and just seeing what it looks like with the pads on. But that that kind of tells me sort of where their thought that where they what they want to see happen. As um, obviously Riley Reef was bought it was brought in on a, on a cheap contract uh, one year deal. But Larry Borum was a guy that I think most Bears fans were like, regardless if it's left tackle or right tackle, he we saw enough last year. He will be a starter. And to me. I think it's pretty interesting that Ryan Poles is basically saying, and again, I think this kind of leaks into the next to to the other guy we're going to talk about. Ryan Poles, much like throughout the entire process since he interviewed, is basically, I don't fucking care what you think about anything. This is my team. I'm going to build it the way I want to. He doesn't care what you think about Velas Jones's age. He doesn't care what you think about Byron Pringle being the second pick or the, the second wide receiver. He doesn't care. He he believes he knows what he's doing. And I God damn, do I, I, I love that conviction. I really, really, really do. Um, and so I, I, I like that he's not just giving Larry Borum a spot and he's saying, I know football better than you do. I'm going to find an offensive line that makes the most sense. And, and, that's what I'll say about Larry Borum. Like, I, I, I do think he will be a starter, but it, it can't just be tossed in the trash that he's going up against Riley Reef, a, a, a someone who has an NFL veteran on the offensive line. Like, that's 
it's not for nothing for sure. Yeah, well, and I think the other thing that's pretty significant about this is he has not swapped them at all since OTAs. Larry Borum has been on the right side. He yeah. hasn't gone to left, and he played a little bit of left last year. He, he did not in training camp or in OTAs or in training camp thus far. Braxton Jones has been on the left side. Larry Borum has been on the right side the whole time. So, it, I, I, again, they see something, whether that means that they're good on those sides or they're just the best option on the team right now, which is clearly not mutually exclusive. But <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, they, yeah. they see something. Um, there's uh, there's one last thing I, I want to say, and then we'll get into the, the gigantic, big, scary elephant in the room. Just because most teams run with five offensive linemen does not mean that if Larry Borum is a starter, Riley Reef won't play. It sounds like this offense is going to be geared towards the run anyways. They may go with six offensive line pretty frequently. That just might be how they run their offense, especially because their tight ends really aren't known for blocking. Ryan Griffin probably is more known for blocking than obviously Cole Komet is. Um, But they may go with a heavy offensive line. That just might be how it operates. Um, But Frank, let's just, I I think we've delayed as much as we possibly can. Uh, So let's get into the, to the obvious Uh, Tevin Jenkins, a ton of rumors swirling. He's, he hasn't practiced in five days. Um, Sounds like he's on the trade block. At the very least, teams have been calling, asking about that. Um, I don't know if Ryan Poles is going out of his way to to make those calls. It's it's just hard to really see a future for Tevin Jenkins with the Bears, right? Do you do you like first of all, what were your first thoughts when you saw that teams were calling about him and 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 sort of where's your head at now? You know, with Tevin Jenkins moving forward, I think I think he's as good as gone. I don't think, I mean, uh, again, the biggest thing that Ryan Poles said when he was hired was he evaluated the offensive line and he absolutely kept it a buck when he talked to George. He said, they're not physical enough. They're not good enough. That's the first place that we're going to fix. That, that's my focus because that's what wins you ball games. That's what makes your offense tick. I know everyone wants fucking prime OBJ and, and uh, you know, wants us to trade every draft pick for Jamar Chase to get <laughs> Justin Fields' weapons. None of that matters without an offensive line. It's just, it, it is what it is. And I think, you know, the, the initial reports with OTAs with him running with the second team and such, it caught me off guard because the one thing that, and then this was sheer projection. We didn't know this. We just assumed this. But we, when, he, when he said they need to be nastier and, and tougher, and I was like, well, me and you were both like, he's going to fucking love Tevin Jenkins then. Because that's that was the book on him coming out. That that was what he was the only one who stuck up for for uh, Justin Fields last year, and and we dogged Jermaine Effetti, which I stand by. But we also weren't the ones evaluating the film like they were. They see something in him that they do not like, and now reports little by little are starting to come out that he is a little bit immature. Brian Poles does not come across to me like he wants immaturity on an offensive line. Just look at the vets that he signed. Look at their press conferences. Look at the way that they speak. Look at the way that they handle themselves. Um, but the biggest thing, Jack, and I saw this. I didn't get a chance to. to so you're going to get a, so if you haven't seen this, you're going to get a little bit. A little, uh, you guys are going to get another live reaction from Jack here. One of the things that came out uh, <clears throat> from his college date 
was he does not respond very well to tough practices. That he just starts to, you, you see him start to uh, phase out a little bit. He starts to like dog it. He doesn't like, he almost wants to like, you know, uh, fake hustle his way through a hard practice. And it got so bad that a regional scout told one of the, it was an undisclosed NFL team. They were like, get him off your board right now. There's no shot we're, we're even coming close to this kid. I don't care about the worries about injuries. I don't care about the worries about, because one of the things was he has a smaller, um, I guess, lower, uh, just a, his legs were small is what people were saying. His bases. <laughs> I don't think that scares people too many people away, but um, they were like, we don't care about that. We, what we see from him in practice consistently, no, he, he, he can't do it. You couple that, Jack, with what we know not what we think, not what we heard, what we know that Matt Eberflus does is he fucking practices his teams hard. The Colts defense talked about it, and they loved it. The players who bought in loved it. Shaquille Leonard loved it. So you think about the guys right now, Jalen Johnson, he's holding us accountable. We're going to be in condition. You hear all these things. You couple that report with what's happening. This is starting to make total sense right now. Whether yeah. or not he's talented and can be good somewhere else, if you're not a fit for a team, you're not a fit for a team. It is what it is. It's just, it, it just, it happens that way. It's like, we, you know, I brought up OBJ for whatever reason a few times on this podcast. Just because he wasn't a fit with Cleveland doesn't mean he, he wasn't a good player still. Just, it was what it was. He went to LA, he wound up being still pretty good. But he, I don't think he's a, he's a culture fit for this coach and this, and this front office. Now, now, the people who are going nuts about like, oh, well, we drafted him in the second round. You know, we're, you know, we're going to end this podcast with some, you know, some guys that sort of the make or break year, um, he was going to be on that list. But the, the, the biggest thing is they're, they didn't draft him in the second round. They don't care if he was a first round pick, a 15th round pick. If his mom's on the staff, they did not draft this kid. They're, they're not married to anyone on this roster, Tevin Jenkins included, especially because, and maybe no fault to him, but he didn't play. He played five games last year. So it's like people are acting like he just came in at left tackle and hunker, even though we like what we saw the last three games. I'm not trying to act like I was always out on Tevin Jenkins. I'm not necessarily out on him now, but I'm just saying this makes sense to me, you know, as to what's unfolding. I mean, do you have similar thoughts, Jack? Yeah, uh, Frank, if I'm Ryan Poles, first thing I'm doing is calling up Ryan Pace and say, (laughs) (laughs) give me a second. Give me a two, and he can be on the Falcons. I'll, I'll send him to you right now for a two. Because uh, that's what Ryan Pace apparently felt he was worth. So go get that second from him. But it just, Frank, it just really pisses me off that not only did Ryan Pace draft the guy with a back injury to play his to be his left tackle or right tackle. At the time, we thought it was probably going to be right tackle, but they sort of needed him to be left tackle because he decided to cut their best left tackle for – Nothing for because he just he just couldn't fucking manage the goddamn salary cap, Frank. Instead, he drafted a guy who with a bad back and a maturity problem and traded up to do so because, you know, Ryan Pace had a great track record for trading up. Great track record. Mitch Trubisky, that pick worked out great. He couldn't stand the thought of Mitch going number two to not the Bears. He couldn't have Deshaun Watson. He couldn't have Patrick Mahomes. Come on. And how da- how could he possibly not trade up for Anthony Miller? 
How could he do that? Couldn't have, couldn't possibly miss out on a guy like that. It's just, it, it, it bums me out that Ryan Pace is the reason that this Bears rebuild or reload or whatever the fuck this team wants to call it is going to take even longer because he just couldn't help himself but draft bad players in the first couple rounds. Didn't he trade up for Adam Shaheen? Am I making that up, Frank? He, he may did he have. trade up for him or did he just draft him in the second round over George Kittle? He he might have, but he he, tra- he traded up for uh, Leonard Floyd too. He did trade up for Leonard Floyd. You're absolutely right. He did, and and granted, and, Leonard Floyd was good against the Packers. That was the one thing he was good at. Yeah, and then he goes to a team in the Rams that you know have other talent, and he ends up being a pretty good, pretty good linebacker, Frank. Pretty good. Well, and and uh, he traded up for uh, David Montgomery. He did. He did. He traded when up there for was a Damian Harris. Damian Harris. Like the one thing, remember when Avram was here and he said that, you know, NFL teams should be liquidated or, or I forget what it was. If they draft a running back in the first round, if you trade up for a running back, if you trade up for one, you should I be feel the same the exact way. That talent is all there. Do what does what? And, and I like Monty. I think he's a good player. What does he do? Nothing. You know, he's like, he's a he's a worse. He's better. Matt for he's Matt Forte light. He does everything well, but just not everything well enough. But, but no, but but even just comparing it to the guy who was there later in that round, Damian Harris. I think Damian Harris is a better pure runner than him. Yeah, I, Monty probably has better hands. But again, this is third round running back talent. They're from round two on. They're all but the Frank, same. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta contextualize it too. The Bears were running back away from the Super Bowl, as we yeah. saw. As we saw here, they they needed David Montgomery to really just push them over the fucking edge of beating the Packers and the Patriots and you know all those other good teams that they didn't beat. Um, yeah, but it's I, just, I think Frank, it, it just having Jenkins overall. It's just it's just so maddening that uh, again a guy that you and I were actually pretty happy with that they drafted. We thought he was killing that draft. We did. He got Justin Fields. He got Tevin Jenkins. Like, and 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 it just it doesn't work in the system that the Bears are trying to run. And guess what, Frank? That's okay. That's okay. I'd rather no. Te- this team is not good enough to try and 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 fit a, a second round pick in if he doesn't want to be here. It's it's that simple. Find the best combination that works to to let your quarterback continue to develop. I don't care about Tevin Jenkins. I care about Justin Fields becoming an all-pro quarterback. That's what I care about. So if Tevin Jenkins isn't going to be willing to put in the work to become part of that, bye. See you later. Get what you can. Third, fourth round, fifth round pick. Take what you can get at this point. There's yep. no point in keeping him here. And and hearing the immaturity stuff, hearing his, his uh, lack of – I don't even know what the right word is. I guess grit. I feel so meatball. Football, football motor, Frank. Yeah, football, football motor, motor <laughs> from him. Think about some of the stuff we've heard from Jalen Johnson this year, who is a very good corner, saying, I haven't earned my spot on this team yet. I know I have to prove myself all over again to a new front office because they didn't draft me. Like he, Hearing how much he loves the hard work that Eberflus has them doing, knowing I don't want to say knowing because it hasn't been like super confirmed, but the sources were pretty fucking good. They've been right on, on, on quite a bit. Um, assuming that's true with Tevin Jenkins, what do you expect? 
Like you, yeah. did you, you came in with the new regime and thought like they owed you this starting job. Yeah. That, that, that's why I'm disappointed. Cause I still think talent wise, he's really good. I loved just how, how ugly and nasty he gets at tackle. I think that's what you need. You need that sort of, you know, See, and that's what surprises me, Frank. If he is yeah. that type of dude, you'd think he'd be first in line for hard practices, but it's just not. I agree. It's just not that, him. It's, it's just not I him. Mean, maybe it's one of those things where like something switches and when it's game day. Yeah. But yeah. again, if you are in year four or five with the same regime and they sort of get it at that point, you know what I mean? Where it's like maybe you're not the best practice player when those lights get on, you're out there. Okay, fine. They can live with that. I, I'm positive every wide receiver after year five that has their second contract is like that practice. They're like, ah, go up for one hand game day. They're here. Right. Yeah. Um, but dude, you're in year two, really year one and a half. You barely played last year. Yeah. Most yeah, of that was rehab. And again, that's not his fault. I'm not blaming him, but I'm just saying you like, if you didn't think you had to prove yourself to this new regime, you were kidding yourself. Yeah. Cause there were a ton of question marks about you after last year. Still, even though I still like him, I, I, I don't, I can't reiterate that enough. I'm not like, flip-flopping on anything. I want him to be a starting tackle on this team, left or right. But clearly, some there's a disconnect between this front office and him. And it sounds to me like it's more on him based on what other players on this team are saying about this staff so far. Yeah. Even and Justin I, Fields, they're talking about the differences between last year and this year. There's there's a quote that I'm going to read you real quick. It's very short. It's, it's from the Bears special team coordinator, Richard Hightower. He said, if a guy has his helmet on, Matt Eberflus wants everybody working. And I really think it's that simple, Frank. Yeah. If you have, if you're able to practice, you're going to practice and you're going to practice hard. I mean, you hear how much conditioning work they're doing, regardless of, of who had a successful day in terms of offense or defense. Everybody is working because he understands that his team, they may not be the most talented team in the NFL, but it's very cliche, but he's he's going to make sure that they're one of the hardest working teams in the league. And, and that can get you two, three extra wins that maybe you shouldn't get because your team was willing to work a little bit harder than the other team. It, it, it sounds stupid because maybe you're again, your team maybe isn't as talented, but that's why some of those teams like Jacksonville can beat the Indianapolis Colts in week 18 to get to the fucking or to keep the Colts out of the playoffs. Because one team is willing to work hard. Everybody but me went into that game like, oh, Indy's got this in the fucking bag. But Frank, I, I told you. I told you. you. I don't I don't think this is going to be that easy. And it ended up being true because Jacksonville was willing to work harder than the Colts were. It, it really was that simple. So, yeah, yeah, maybe it is a little bit more meatball-y type thought process. But it sometimes that sometimes these phrases exist, Frank, because they're just true. It just, yeah. it is what it is. But I think, Jack, it only gets meatball if we're in year three or year four of this system and the talent hasn't mm -hmm. caught up to the hard work. Like, right now, this team needs to outwork people to win some ball games. Maybe yeah. not against the Texans or the, you know, the Lions, sort of the, the, the uh, lesser teams in the league. But if we're going up against a playoff team, the way to beat them is to want it more is to outwork them is to do, you know, do things they're not willing to do. I, again, that's year one. That's when we're talent deficient year three, year four. The, the hope is you built that culture of hard working. And now we have more Shaq Leonard's in the building. We have Roquan Smith's in the building. We have weapons for Justin Fields on the outside. Like that talent sort of catches up to, you know, 
the blue collaredness, if you will, of this football or of the team's culture. The Lions have a 17% chance more of winning the division than the Chicago Bears do because I, I, God, I still I don't get it. I don't understand, Frank. I just don't get it. I don't get how what what did they ch- they arguably upgraded the fucking coaching staff, Frank. <laughs> but they, they're still worse than the Lions. I I don't get it. I don't get it. But as Frank mentioned a little bit earlier, there are a couple guys that we did want to get into um, regarding more of a of a make or break season. Like he said, Tevin Jenkins was going to be on that he list. Was number one. He was going to be he number was one. Was number list. one. He is number one. But we're going to have and to push that broke. list back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so Frank, I'm, I'm going to start with just an honorable mention because when we are, were making this, he wasn't on the team. I, I just want to talk about him a little bit um, because I, I've liked some of the the mindset that he's coming to this camp with. Um, and if he can be a red zone weapon, great. If not, they didn't really pay a whole lot. Nikhil Harry, we talked about the trade for him. Um, this is, I think, clearly a make or break season for him just overall. Um, I think... I, I just it's it's hard for me to see how a wide receiver that talented just completely fell off the map. And and from what I've heard, it sounds like New England was more of the problem. And we've seen that, Frank. We've seen that so many times, especially for offensive players where they come in and the, the system just doesn't really make sense to them. It's a little too it doesn't necessarily fit their skill set. If Nikhil Harry, all he has to do, Frank. All he has to do is what he did in practice today when Justin Fields missed him by 80,000 feet. And I'm convinced that Mitch was thrown back there, if I'm being honest with you. Get open in the red zone and catch some touchdown passes. I think if he just does that, he could be a very effective player in this offense. I'm not asking him to go out there and become Randy Moss 2.0. I just need another red zone weapon on this offense. And I think... I think if he keeps putting in the work, I think he could potentially be a very valuable asset to his team, especially given how thin the wide receiver core truly is. No, I totally agree. I, I mean, he, he's one of those guys that it's a no-brainer that you take a chance on him. Yeah, yeah especially mean, for what they paid. Yeah, for what was it, a 24-7th or 25-7th, whatever? Like, yeah, yeah 24-7th. Because, again, just like you said, he was a first-round pick. I mean, he's always had talent. Um, and And... And I'm not to say you were doing this, but it's, you know, n- not to uh, completely blame New England, because at the end of the day, you're still a first round guy. You got to figure it out. Right. Um, but again, I mean, Chad Johnson went there and talked about how fucking complex things were. And like the the, big, the biggest reason why they win and why people succeed there is because they know how to do multiple people's jobs. They understand how to do. You think about the players who have succeeded there. It's like super high IQ, not to say, you know, Chad doesn't have one. He just wasn't in the system for that long, but like they don't pop off year one. Or it's you're like, Randy Moss and one of the greatest wide well, receivers yeah, of all he's, time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's he, insanity. Um, but it's like, you, you know, they don't, they don't like, I don't even know what the right word is. It's like, they don't capitalize on people on what they can do. They're like, no, you're either going to do this or, or you're not a fit here. Or no we're going to trade you. We, Yeah, no matter where we drafted you, on offense, defense, no matter what round, if you can't do what we're asking of you, that's it. And it's like, it almost makes me wonder, like, did they try to make Nikhil Harry something he wasn't? Because, like, I know that that offense really values route running. He's not a great route runner. His thing was getting, and granted, he missed way too many 50-50 balls for that to be a strength. But, like, 
that was his thing coming out of college. And that's why people had a red flag on him was like, can he do that? He doesn't get very much separation. You hear the same thing out of all those guys that are built that way. Cortland Sutton, him, just the bigger dudes Drake who don't London. get the separation. Yeah, exactly. Drake London. But like they're big and they're going to use their frame to do so. But like you said, if right. he can have, uh, you know, if he can just do that, because I mean, it's not like he got drafted to be wide receiver four. He realistically could be number two on this team. As there's there's, there's opportunity. Him. Yeah, the opportunity's yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Frank, go ahead and uh, go ahead and kick us off on our official list. Uh, I well, just wanted to talk about Nikhil real quick. I don't know if he made our official list or not, but the one I did want to talk about since you brought up an honorable mention uh, is just David Montgomery. I know he yeah. was sort of floated around when we were talking about it, but I think he's a huge one. Um, because for as many people who want to keep him, and I'm not super opposed to that, the contract would have to be very team-friendly just because of the position. But he hasn't, like, blown people's doors off. Like, I, yeah. people talk about him like he's had, like, Anthony Jones type shit. We've seen great running backs in Chicago. Anthony Jones, the A-train, had a year or two. Matt Forte had, like, fucking eight years of greatness. He's barely had – he's had 1,000-yard season. Why didn't you talk about Thomas Jones? I did say Thomas Jones. I said they act like he you had said Thomas the Jones train. Type Oh, I thought you said I thought we were talking about. And then, and then I said Thomas Jones. But you didn't say you didn't say said Benson. I didn't say said Benson, but he. I mean, he didn't have. He had. Like a Why lot. didn't you bring up Jeremy Langford? I mean, okay, now we're just getting in fucking. Loud. Jordan Howard, come on. Jordan Howard had to. I mean, he's he had better years than fucking the guy who replaced him. Yeah. He had a four or a thirteen hundred yard season one year, and I know we ran the ball a ton, but he's a fucking running back, and he did what was asked of him in those John Fox offenses, like. David, David Montgomery is one of those dudes that, you know, I, I think when you're looking at talent on any team, whether drafting, fantasy, you, the eye test is a big part of what happened. He's passed the eye test for three years, but he hasn't put together the other end of things where it's like, yeah, he looks super talented. He can break some tackles. He still hasn't given you that elite. You know, he, who he kind of sure. reminds me of a little bit. He kind of reminds me of, uh, of like Miles Sanders. Like, Miles Sanders is a dude who, when you actually watch him play, you're like, damn, this guy's really good. But then you, like, look at – it's like it's like the exact opposite of Russell Wilson's offense in Seattle, where it's like you, you watch the game and you're like, damn, Monty must have put up, like, 150 combined yard. And you look and it's, like, 27, and you're like, <laughs> what game was I watching? And then, you know, same thing with Miles Sanders, a guy who – like had 5.5 yards per carry last year, but no touchdowns. And you're like, how he's so good. I, I just, I don't get it. But then you look at Seattle and Russell Wilson throws like a, a ball that goes like 15 yards. And apparently that equates to 250 yards in, in total offense. Like, so I, I, I just kind of see that comparison. I totally agree. I don't think Mont David Montgomery, I think he's a good player. Um, but this team is not, good enough to warrant giving him a massive extension to a running back, especially again, when you have guys who maybe were a little more effective last year in Khalil Herbert, like I, I yeah, agree that, with you. That's, Frank. I, agree. I mean, that's my big thing. I almost, and this sounds bad. I like Monty. I do. I almost don't want him to have that great of a year. Cause I don't want him to like, why are we yeah. resigning a running back even on a team friendly deal? Yeah. I, we, like the, the drop off between him and Herbert, as a matter of fact, I don't think it just like you hinted at it. I don't think it was a drop off. Herbert looked better in those like three or four games that he started. He looked, I mean, again, I don't think he has the hands that Monty does, but he looked like a faster Jordan Howard. Our, our only complaint with Jordan Howard is that he was slow. 
but the vision that he had, <laughs> yeah, whereas like it, it's almost like uh, it's almost like Monty is is like the flashier. He's gonna break tackles in the backfield. He just looks athletic. Herbert was like kind of straight downhill. He found the hole. He hit it. He got to the second level, broke a tackle, or ran somebody over and got you an eight yard gain. Yeah. Like that's all I want from my running back. I, I don't need, unless it's like a, a, again, like Christian McCaffrey, if he can stay healthy, Alvin Kamara, where it's like, clearly they can do anything. Yeah, if you get, they, they if you get a Dalvin running back position. Yeah. Yeah. If you get like, a Dalvin cook, if you get yeah, one of those top tier dudes, just, just, just my, like a running back that isn't that give me Khalil Herbert, especially on a rookie deal. So again, I, I it sounds bad, but I just don't, I don't, I'm leaning heavily towards, I don't want to resign it. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely kind of there myself, unless he has one of those just insane season where he, you know, goes for 2,000 rushing yards or something crazy like that. But, like, I don't you have the talent, though. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you have Khalil Herbert, who, granted, maybe not be the best pass catcher, but, Frank, like, one of the bigger things was when that when Jordan Howard wasn't the main focus point, right, and you had Jeremy Langford as well, one of the big things was teams knew what the Bears were going to do because – Jordan Howard was in the off, you know, he was in the backfield and then, or if Jeremy Langford was in, they're probably going to throw the ball. Okay. But guess what, Frank, every team does it now. They have a guy who runs the ball hard and then they have another guy who's more of the pass catcher. That's just how it works. Khalil Herbert, Treston Ebner, two guys that you and I are pretty high on this year because they're just going to be effective running backs. I don't need you don't need to have a 2,000-yard running back. You just don't to be an effective offense in the NFL anymore. It's just it, – it doesn't matter. And you have other- Leonard Fournette and Rashad White in their offense. Like, it just it, – it, it, you know, I, I agree with you. I agree. Well, the other the last thing on, and then we can get to the official issue and kick us off, is Justin Fields is a better – is the best runner on yeah, the team. he's still the best runner <laughs> on the team. Yeah, yeah like, you don't even need the running back. So that, that even – if we're worried about rushing yards, you know, get him on some bootlegs, draw up yeah. some design runs for him, and he can take care of a little, at least a little bit of that. I know you don't yeah. want to get him hurt, but it's like, you know, we're discussing running backs, and it's like the guy you know, who, who – uh, Certainly not saying he should be a running back. That's not the. I'm just saying, like legs wise, he has the best fucking legs on the offense. Like, yeah, we don't have to yeah. worry about it. Yeah, I mean, really, that that really is that simple. You look at the the Ravens and how they operated with without J.K. Dobbins, one of their more talented running backs, and they're they Devonta Freeman going off for for be, and like being usable. Like that's all you need when you have a running when you ha- when your best runner is your quarterback. It's it, it changes the entire dynamic of your offense. Um, so. To go with the list, um, I, I don't think I don't believe Frank we have like a one two three, um, especially with you know without yeah. the Tevin. So I, I'm going to start with the with the least obvious one in my opinion, um, and I want to talk about Darnell Mooney. Um, and, and you may hear that name and and say, "All right, I'm stopping this podcast. These guys don't know what they're fucking talking about." Darnell Mooney is already a proven player. Granted, Darnell Mooney is a very good player. When I'm talking about with him saying this is a make-or-break season. To me, Darnell Mooney has a legitimate opportunity to prove every Bears fan that believes he's a wide receiver too at best wrong. This is his chance. This is his chance to show that he's more than just a guy who can, you know, possession receiver or a, a fast receiver. Prove to us that you can do it all and be a focal point, a star player, in this offense because the bears desperately need him to be that they don't have a lot of capital 
put into other wide receivers, Frank. They have one guy drafted in this new regime. I'm not going to mention the age thing because I just think it's stupid. Um, But Darnell Mooney is a guy that has been working to build chemistry with Justin Fields since last year. So going into this season, I think Darnell Mooney is going to have a very good year. But what does that look like? Is it is it going to be garbage time stuff? Is it going to be just, you know, those routes that are getting him open? Or is he the one that's really taking over this offense and just being a guy who you just constantly have to get the ball? You, you can't afford not to get him the ball. So that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see Darnell Mooney take his game to the next level and become that star wide receiver and not just a guy who you're like, He's a nice piece. He's a nice piece to have. You can definitely keep building, but he's he's more of that, you know, wide receiver two type role. So that's that's what I mean when I say this is a make or break season for Darnell Mooney. Yeah, and I think um, the case with him is more like make or break adjacent because I think his floor is very high, you know, in this offense post this season. Meaning if he doesn't do that, we know he can still be a really good wide receiver two or wide receiver three. You know what I mean? Like you, if you surround him with maybe a possession guy or whatever, but I, I, I agree with you with what you're saying. Like, this is the year for you. Like there's no one in front of you. You have all these reps with Justin Fields. You were the one putting in the time last year when Justin Fields wasn't getting those reps after practice. Now it's time for you to absolutely take over. And what that means, and I know we don't like to put numbers on things, but for him, you almost have to, that means 1200, 1300 yards, five, six, seven touchdowns. Doing things like that, like or even I would even say like maybe even a transition to the guy that you know I've been you know talking about a ton and Nicole Komet who, who who was on our list. Maybe that means the middle of the field is wide the fuck open like Travis Kelsey is because teams had to worry about Tyreek Hill going downfield and taking the top off the defense. You know what I mean? Like yeah, all of that plays into that. Um, and again, I think that's a good segue into um another guy on our list who I think is more of like the true make or break with Cole Komet. This is I think a lot of the points you said about. Darnell, or we both did, can be can be uh, be made about Cole. Like no one's ahead of you now. You don't have the Jimmy Graham excuse. You don't have the the the, the horse that was getting more reps than you excuse. You're the guy. And I, I get it. This is a new offense. We're all learning it. I, I, eventually, you know, when I was growing up, I would sort of have these things where oh, it's fucking you know Jay's and the offense. It's a whole new OC, which to a degree you can make an excuse. But eventually, talent just wins the fuck out, man. Eventually, it just it, it clicks. Eventually, it just goes. I'm sick of having those excuses. If he's not the guy for us, he's not. If he moves on and is great, you know, <laughs> next to Mark Andrews in Baltimore or something, so be it. But this year, I need you to do something. And again, unfortunately, numbers have to be into play. To me, that's like eight, 900 yards. To me, that's to o- o- almost getting double-digit touchdowns. I know you had zero last year. But you're really our only red zone threat right now, especially if Nikhil Harry is the bust that everyone says he is or that he was in in in, uh, in New England. Let's just be real about it. He was a bust there. Um, so you need to be the guy to step up. You're taking those those reps uh, from Jimmy Graham, who is no longer here anymore. I, I will fucking throw up in my mouth if O'Shaughnessy or Horstead or one of these dudes is getting fucking goal line reps over this guy. Because that, to me, means that this team saw the same shit that the last regime saw in him. You know, like, uh, again, the, you know, the last regime, we had our complaints. 
but they did certain things for a reason. And if they were right about Cole Komet, they were just right about Cole Komet. It is what it is. And and it's, it would almost be like reaffirming what they thought if similar things happened this year and people were taking reps from him. I'll, I'll say it is what it is. I would be okay with that if he wasn't their first pick in the second of round. Course. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, th- this team does not have a lot of size. Like, it, it, it just it just really doesn't. Byron Pringle isn't the biggest guy in the world. Velas Jones really isn't either. Um, Equinemius St. Brown, Daz Newsome, Nikhil Hay- Like, this this wide receiver room just isn't very big. Cole Komet, you're absolutely right, Frank. If they're going to be more successful in the red zone than they have been in the last what fucking 10 years like they they need to have someone who's able to score in the red zone and and get those big targets and and we saw a little chemistry developing last year especially if you remember in that Steelers game too like um you know Cole Komet was was really good with Justin Fields so I I do want to see a little bit more of that obviously uh the touchdown number should go up um but yeah get any lower Frank and I the I, like if there is a mantra to this podcast, it's just show who you are, right? Like if you're bad, be bad. If you're good, be good. Like just stop enough with, the, you're right, Frank, enough with the excuses of, well, Jimmy Graham was that. Why was Jimmy Graham playing over Cole Komet? If, if Cole Komet was that good, you, Matt Nagy would have been dialing up plays for him. It's really that simple. It really is because Matt Nagy was trying to save his job and and win the best way he could. And he thought that Jimmy Graham was the better option. So, you know, what does that tell you? Is Cole Komet really going to take that step forward? You know, I think it's something we'll have to see. And then uh, the last one we wanted to talk about um, is is, is uh, Eddie Jackson. And this really isn't going to be a surprise for a lot of our listeners. They've heard us talking about Eddie for the last three years or so. Um he just he hasn't lived up to that contract. He's been hurt uh, when he's been playing. He hasn't been very good. The turnovers he was so good at in his rookie season have just completely disappeared. Um, I'm hoping you, Frank, is hoping as well that in a new defense um, he'll be able to make that adjustment back to being more of that playmaker instead of being asked to hit people, which is not something that Eddie really was willing to do, even with the new contract. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really think there's a whole lot to say about Eddie. Make some plays. Make some fucking plays on the defense. Go back to being that that difference maker in the secondary that you were. And and Bears fans will embrace the hell out of you for doing so. Yeah, I mean, no, I, just like you said when talking about Cole Komet, and I, I said before that, like, uh, there, you have, first of all, I'm not going to make any more excuses for, for someone who's been here and who's gotten a, a second contract with the Chicago Bears. But two, you don't even have any to lean back on this year. You're going back to the position that got you paid in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, and with defense, I've been talking about numbers offensive wise. I don't think you can really do that. Some of it is the eye test. Some of it is like, are you around the ball when, when the ball's tipped? Are, are, you know what I mean? Like that, that type of stuff. Are you making deflections, which is a statistic. But like, I'm not looking for like, yeah, we need four pick sixes and then six picks. To, that, that's insanity. Just the eye test of what we saw from the first two years of Eddie Jackson from every other year after that was vastly different. Even adding in the, the one or two, whatever it was, pick sixes that got called back, one being a horrible penalty that shouldn't have been called. But like, even with that's one play, the yeah. whole rest of the year, it just wasn't it. So it's like a lot of it is going to be eye test. 
But uh, again, with him, with him specifically, but this applies still to everybody, this regime didn't draft you. Not only did they not draft you, they didn't pay you. Yeah. So they don't care about that. Like, if you don't prove to them that you're still the guy that, you know, they want to uh, continue to pay, uh, you know, for the rest of your contract, they ate some of Khalil Mack's salary. I don't think they'll they'll hesitate to do the same for you to get a higher draft pick. And they, they've already shown, you know, we have a first-round pick next year. Not to say they would draft the safety that early, but I'm just saying like, we have all our picks next year. Even if he's on this roster, no one I, – granted, I think we all wanted a corner, maybe like round three or four, because we knew the only one we had was Jalen Johnson. Who's to say round three comes up next year again and there's a really good free safety out there? Yeah. That they don't scoop him up because starters, especially at the secondary, they they're they're to be had in rounds three, four, and five. Yeah, look at the Panthers drafting Jace, J, uh, what was it, JC Horn, Horn over over Justin Fields. I mean, yeah, you know, the, those, you know like the, they the, come into hot commodity. Yeah, no, but the, this regime doesn't owe Eddie anything. anything. So like he has to really, and, and granted, that comes off really bad. But he's been one of the guys that when we're talking earlier about Tevin Jenkins and such. He's loved. He's been working. He understands that. He, yeah. He's not making excuses and like, well, this is a new thing. No, he's like, no, I'm going back to where I want to go. I love Jaquan Brisker. I love this new coaching staff. They don't owe me shit. I'm here to work hard. He's been another guy. And, and, and to be quite like, honestly, and this is probably the gr- a great way to end it to get your thoughts on this too. That's sort of what's disappointing about Tevin Jenkins as well. If he came in with sort of that privileged mindset of like, oh, well, I got drafted second round last year. They got to start me. Dude, this guy has his money already. He can sit on his ass and do nothing and get paid. He can just fucking mail it in, and he has generational wealth for him, his kids, his grandkids. He can invest it and do whatever the fuck he wants with that money. And he's in here saying, no, they don't owe me a goddamn thing. I'm ready to work hard. That is disappointing. It just clicked in my head with that, with Tevin Jenkins talking about Eddie Jackson. I hope that's that's not the case. I I really do. Um, It sounds like there's a lot of evidence to to kind of – lean that way that it is maybe something like that um we what else we don't be? know for sure I, I agree we're just not telling I, us does he have the fucking monkey box what, what, he, what i, th- I think on? it's the monkey box there's uh <laughs> there there are two things that uh i do want to end the podcast on um real quick um a, a guy that i don't think is make or break um at all but a guy that i'm really i i just feel like we don't talk about enough is travis gibson frank i'm like i'm i'm like he's like a better Roy Robertson Harris to me. He's a guy I'm just so excited about to see what he can really do in a full-time role. Um, and then the last thing, I just want to make a quick correction for our listeners, just so they're not uh, confused. Uh, Roquan Smith is the will linebacker. He is not the Mike. Uh, so that changes a lot of the conversation that Frank and I were having <laughs> last week. Trade his ass. He doesn't need to be paid. As the <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, but no, uh, Roquan is still holding out or holding in, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, sounds like they may still be far apart on a deal. Um, uh, you know, hopefully that that gets settled sooner rather than later. Because Frankie, preseason football is fucking here, man. We got the Hall of Fame game to worry about that I've never watched. You ever watch the Hall of Fame game? You ever you ever just dropped in for a minute and say, "Hey, there's some football." <laughs> when I when I was younger and Erlacher was in his prime, I think we played like the Ravens that year for the Hall of Fame game. I watched like a half a quarter. It's and horrible. you're like, and you're like, no one's playing. Why am I watching this at all? The, the way they build that thing up, I was like, oh man, like are they going to take this serious for a half? No, no starter play. 
Yeah, it's just it's it's we like uh what Trevor Lawrence is already he's already like ah, I'm not playing that game. Um, but there's Frank. I mean, we're we're coming up on on some real football here, uh, uh pretty quickly. Um, you know, obviously we'll we'll talk a little more about the preseason schedule. Um, you know, I'm hoping there's some more camp stuff that comes through. Uh, I I really do in terms of. Because, because Frank, we really haven't heard a lot in terms of guys starting to separate themselves in terms of starters and reserves. Granted, it just started. That's why we haven't heard that. Um, but I, I do want to see if that offensive line is starting to settle. If if Braxton Jones really is making a claim to the left tackle spot, and I want to know what that fucking wide receiver depth chart is is going to look like. I, I I want to have a better idea of who's going to be where, who's going to be doing what, um, and and we'll kind of see. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a prediction, Jackie, right here, All right, right now. Make we'll it. Here on that on that wide receiver depth chart. <clears throat> Number one, Darna Mooney. We know that. Okay. Number two, Bellis Jones. Oh wow. Okay. Number three, Byron Pringle. Number four, Equinemius St. Brown. That's gonna be the four. That's gonna be the four. Yep. You heard it here first. You hear you heard it here first from Frankie. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening as always. Check out uh, our YouTube page, we appreciate the likes and comments. We've been getting a lot of activity there. Um, feel free to submit some questions that you have for us because, uh, you know, Frank is tired of me just talking to him. He wants to interact with you a little bit more as well. Uh, but uh, hit us up on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. I think I got it that time. Spotify, we're there too. Um, and, uh, yeah, until then, Frankie, I'll talk to you next week, man. Absolutely. Later, Jackie. Later, everybody.